Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. This is Funny Wine Girl, aka Janine Luby. And you know, it's funny, um, I'm recording this and I typically don't record it at night. So I'm drinking coffee more than I'm drinking wine. And those of you who've listened before know, and if you ever go to YouTube, you'll see, I like to promote my cute little mug that says, uh, if it's morning, this must be coffee. And so far it has been coffee, but you know, I'm heading to the Finger Lakes this weekend. So maybe I'll take it with me and fill it with something other than coffee. Uh, Well, this week, I know you probably get sick of me saying how excited I am about my guests because I say it every week, but it's true because I know some fabulous women. And I will say, I don't know personally our guest today, my guest today, um, but I have, we have a mutual friend in Tim Holmes. We're here in Scranton. I am an advocate and lover of the place I've grown up and chosen to live and make a life here in Scranton. And my guest today has done the same. And we have our mutual friend in Tim Holmes and they work together on the office convention, the office wrap party. And she has a long list of amazing things that she's done. She is a powerhouse in architecture. Um, She's done Ted talks. uh, She has a proprietary design system she's created. So I could go on, but I am just so proud and pleased and privileged to be able to speak with her today and know that she is here in Scranton helping to make Northeastern Pennsylvania better for everyone. And I love that she is someone that young girls can look up to uh, for a career in architecture. So I would like to welcome my guest today, Michelle Dempsey. Hello, Michelle. Oh, hi. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. Oh yeah. I might, my gosh, I have, of course I've heard about you forever and you know, Scranton's only so big Um, to quote my mom and excuse my gruffness. She used to say, you can't shit in Scranton. She actually still does say that because everybody knows everybody. So you have to be careful because you know, you could be, you know, throwing shade and someone's like, Hey, that's my cousin. So you have to I always say to you, like, I know somebody from, is from Scranton when their first question is, which Dempsey are you? Right. Or it's like, <laughs> I totally know they're from the area. And I'm like, Michelle Dempsey, which Dempsey? <laughs> the laundry, the lawyer, which one, you know, it's, it's a list. But yeah, um, we're, and we're one of those. As my dad says, if you, if you shake the tree hard enough, we all fall out. (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. 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 That's what my grandmother used to say similar things about how we're all related more or less. Right. And Scranton is one of those places here where it's, it's a, it's small enough that you can do that, but yet it's, I think it has a lot of uh, potential with a bigger city kind of feel to it. Sometimes it's just kind of like stuck in the middle. It's kind of like a Jan, maybe a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So you, I mean, I don't even know where to get started with you. So because I, again, it's morning and when we're recording this, I'm drinking coffee, but let's talk just for a minute, just to get light, lightly started here with wine, because I did ask you beforehand, if you do drink wine. Now I happen to be a fan of white wines more than red. What are your preferences? What do you like in wine? Oh man. Um, so for years, I couldn't drink it. Bad college experience with Boone's Farm. Um, full disclosure. <laughs> slowly, uh, I'm like, I can't miss out on this thing. It looks too good. So, um, you know, it depends on, on what I'm what I'm eating or what I'm doing. I always like a nice red. You know, red is always nice. But sometimes I want just something a little lighter. I've gotten into the whites more recently. Um, but I hope I'm not sounding like some sort of connoisseur because I'm truly not. I just, I know when I sort of sip it, if I like it and I can appreciate it. Um, but there was a, there was a, a scene on Parks and Recreation with um, 
Leslie Nope, you know, who's Amy Poehler's character. And um, she's at a restaurant and she orders a red, a red wine. And she's like, um, she's like, make it the cheap one because full disclosure, I can't tell the difference. <laughs> and I kind of, sometimes I feel that way, you know, sometimes I'm like, I, I don't really know. I just know if I drink it, if I don't like it, you know, or if it has too much of a bite, like a, a real like hard bite, I'm, I'm not really into it, but um but I, I, I do like to play with the wines and, and try different ones. And I am definitely that girl who goes in, if I'm bringing wine somewhere, I'm looking at the label. I want the fun label, you know, <laughs> like, I want yes. the thing that's going to make somebody laugh or whatever, as long as it's, you know, I know it's not something cheap and yeah. it's gonna turn people's noses. Like I have fun <laughs> with the labels, you know? So I, I, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, wine for me, it's a social thing. It's like, you know, did anybody not get through the, the, quarantine in the pandemic, you know, going over a loved one's house and just like cheer, you know, uncorking a bottle and having a, a few glasses together to make it all go away. <laughs> but, you know, so I, I love like my sister lives two doors away from me. Very Scranton thing. Right? Uh, I actually moved into the neighborhood. As, as soon as a house came up for sale in her neighborhood, I was like, I'm there. And uh, I love being so close to her. She's got three kids and her husband's awesome. And um, and I go over like a couple times a week and we just open a bottle and talk and have a great time. And so that's wine to me. It's more, it's the connections, you know, once, once a week too, I go out with Tim and a bunch of friends. We call it wherever Wednesdays. And there's always a bottle of wine, you know, to go with the, the atmosphere. So that's wine for me. That's my way of using it. And, you know, I think that's probably more so like, again, I am not, this is not meant to be conversation about like in a pretentious way at all, because I don't, you know, I'm a, one of my many side hustles. I am a, an independent guide for wine guide for traveling vineyard, this company that sells it. And if they didn't give us the notes and all the information about the wine, I don't know how I would describe it personally, because I know what I like and what I don't like, and I know what's dry and sweet, but I wouldn't be able to tell you, oh, there's a hint of peppermint. There's a hint of papaya. Like, I don't know what the hell it's okay, like with a, with a taste of lavender you know like, yeah yeah <laughs> it's earthy it's you know you can taste the lava ash from the soil like yeah I don't think so but <laughs> I agree with you on the fun labels though I've bought wine I think arrogant bastard is one that I bought before because I just loved there's a frog wearing a beret now how could you not want to <laughs> buy that I mean come on that's just fun right there. So, so you're not a wine, you know, a connoisseur, but you enjoy it to connect, which I think is great. And you mentioned, okay, so we'll get into the Scranton stuff, but you mentioned your, it's very Scranton to live by your family. I live in a double house, so I'm right next to my uh, parents. <laughs> so that is a very Scranton thing, but it, you know what, there are times that I'm like, why didn't I leave? But there are other times that I'm like, I'm here with my family. My parents are you know, everyone ages, but my parents are elderly now and they're still in great shape, but it's good to be here for them. And they do great things for me as well. So family's important in Scranton. What is it about Scranton now? I don't know. You could tell us if you ever left and came back. I know a lot of people do that. And, and so they come back because they know that it's home. And I think that's wonderful. Tell me a little bit about what it is about Scranton, your experience with it and why you are such an advocate for it. And you're so, uh, you know, pro Scranton. Yeah. I had a very similar experience to you in college, particularly when I would say I was from Scranton and people would like say, tell me they're sorry. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, oh, that place sucks. Like, 
and clear, like they've never been here. They just, this is just what was in the zeitgeist, right? It was, it was like, I'm like, why do you feel sorry for me? I had a really nice childhood. Like, I did not get it, but it made me mad. Like I, every time yes. someone did that, I was like, stop, you know, like what's going on? Why do people seem to hate this place I'm from? And you know, what did it ever do to you? Um, and so, and that kind of followed me through, you know, through the years. Um, and so I did, I lived, I went, um, I went to college, then I went to, uh, to graduate school for architecture. So I lived in Philadelphia for years and then I moved down to Washington, DC. And truly I had come home because I designed a house for my parents, which is how a lot of architects, you know, what they do and how they start. And I wanted to see it through construction because I spent a lot of time on it. And it was actually conceptually based on a, a coal breaker house, which is very, you know, much about this area. My grandfather who helped my dad start his um, industrial laundry business uh, was a breaker boy and his father had died in the mines like so many you know and so I felt like paying homage was was a nice thing so when I came home just to I thought after that I'd go back to the job in DC or go to New York City or something and I really fell back in love with the area like that's what happened uh Chris Doherty was mayor and, and Sarah Hillstone was you know heading up the economic development here and things were really happening right like it could feel like an energy in the air it was all about restore the pride and, you know, Nam Park was transformed. They were working on the, the 500 block of Lackawanna. And like the very first, you know, the very first building was transformed to apartments. And, and lo and behold, nobody thought anybody would live downtown and they couldn't get enough. You know, they, can't, it's, they still can't build it fast enough, right? People just want to live downtown. And so a lot was happening. And somebody once described me as like an edge species, like a wild blackberry. They called me like, I don't want to be where things have been fixed. I want to be like right on the edge of where I feel like I can impact something like wild blackberries don't live in the lush forest. They live like right on the edge of the forest and like the, where it's just not good for plants and speed, you know, they're, they're right on the edge of, of those conditions. And so I felt that's where Scranton was. So, you know, I decided I always wanted to start a farm. I had just turned 30 and I said, you know what, this is where I'm going to do it. I'm going to help my hometown. And the other thing was, I love being back here. There was an incredible music scene at the time. You know, there were great people, a lot of young people in bars. Like I had as much fun here as I was having in the big cities. Like I just really didn't feel I had sacrificed anything. Um, and so I started my firm and the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And that's great. And I don't want to get too uh, into politics, but I think, I mean, the pandemic has changed a lot of places, not just here. Things have happened, but um, it is, I guess it is big news. We could say this past week that Scranton's no longer considered what a distressed city. So that's, you know, um, I, I think, you know, it's, I feel like some of the progress gets stalled along the way at points, but I think, I think it's still a fabulous place as far as I like to say it's a lot about the people. I mean, not just the people, but the architecture. I had friends who came here from France in 2015 and the, you know, Jean-Claude and Marie, his mouth actually gasped when he saw the inside of the Radisson, like mm -hmm. uh, the mosaic tiles and everything. So for people to not get that, it's like they live in France. Hello. So they get, <laughs> they know beauty and architecture and they loved it. So architecture, people, the artists, people like you. So I think there's still uh is Scranton is it has a ways to go but I think it's still on the right track would you say yeah and I think the reason we have the great architecture is because they couldn't afford to demolish it right that's like that's a good thing for us and it was also because in the 1930s Scranton had its heyday we were one of the richest cities in Pennsylvania because of the coal and uh and so all this beautiful architecture got built I mean I think the 
cultural center, which was the Masonic temple, was one of the reasons I became an architect. I, I used to, you know, I when we go to a, uh, my parents would try to like enrich us, and they'd bring us to um, uh, the, you know, the. I'm losing the word, the symphonies, <laughs> the symphony to, you know, to watch. And I would just like leave and go explore the building, you know? Um, and so, you know, we're lucky to have the architecture that we have and, and it is beautiful. I mean, um, it's, some of it's really jaw dropping and we have the walking tour. So yeah, I think we're, I think we're coming along. And like you said, like for me, being close to my family again was a big draw for moving back as well. So I have 14, there are 14 nieces and nephews. Like my, I have two kids and you know, they're all together, my grandparents have 14 grandkids. Like I see them every week. We go to, we, we all get together every week at my mom and dad's house, the house I designed for them. And we have dinner every week. And so, you know, and I see them during the week tonight, I'm going to go up to my brother's house. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just so much fun to be around my family and we're all close. So that, that works too. And my parents are aging and I get to, I get to hang out with them and like, feel like I'm not missing that time. So love that part of it too. But as for Scranton, you know, I think it's, it definitely has come a long way. You know, I, I do love that we have a, our first female mayor who's yes. not from the area, who ran while she was pregnant, who now we're not a distressed city anymore. Of course, I love all that, you know, yes. age and that her, you know, she met her husband because she stopped for a hoagie here while she was with another campaign. Like, this is <laughs> a great story, right? Um, but, you know, I do, I, I do love that I also live in a city I'm five minutes from a lake, you know, to 15 minutes from a lake, five minutes from skiing, like people don't get that about this area, but like, and you take it for granted when you live here, but that's all amazing, you know? So my whole thing is enhancing it and protecting it, right? So what I did with Tim, that was about bringing, like trying to change the perception of Scranton. That was the office convention and the office wrap party, right? Our intention behind that wasn't just let's meet famous people. Like that was like, that wasn't like what drove us and motivated us every day to like, to do that, what motivated us was if we really pull this off and we get people to come here and have like the best weekends of their life in Scranton, like that's going to get out into the world. And Tim probably said it, but the moment we knew that we had done, had been successful with that was when the Philadelphia Inquirer had an article that said Scranton from cold to cool. I and, love that headline. That is, you know, and that is so cool. Yeah. And we were just like, okay. And now, as you know, when you meet anybody from outside the area and you say you're from Scranton, now it's like, I love the office and they want to talk about it. And that's what we're known for now. And it was like a really, you know, a little bit of serendipity that that happened. And we, we sort of took advantage of it, you know, and sort of ran with it, which is great. You got to take, you, you got to run with what you've got, you know, whatever it is, use it. Right. And, um, and then people came here and realized it was a beautiful place and it is, you know, it is wonderful. And it does have all these things that people don't realize it has if you haven't been here. So that's enhancing it and the other one's protecting it. So I'm one of the co-founders of Friends of Lackawanna, which is a, a, a group that protects the local environment. And we have been fighting for seven years to stop the expansion of the Keystone Sanitary Landfill because it's in the middle of a community, right? And it's it's affecting our quality of life. And um, and I could go on and on about that. I will that take up the next you know 45 minutes, but that's about protecting our area, right? And saying like, this isn't something that's gonna enhance our image. This isn't something that's gonna make our lives better. This is this is not, this is not an appropriate place. This is not the right thing to do for another 50 years, keep dumping garbage on, on us. So, so those two things are equally important to me, you know, like what can I do to, what can I do to try to promote this area and make it better? And what can I do to protect it? Those, cause I love it. I mean, you see the sign behind, we, you know, there's a, there's a picture behind me that um, I guess if you're watching the video, you can see, but it's 
the back of the Electric City sign, which is an iconic sign in downtown Scranton. And, uh, you know, I was touring that building because a, a client of mine was looking at it and it's the back of it. So it's like showing that, you know, we as architects, we look at things from a different perspective, right? But it's also in here because it shows the love of where I am. And I, I'm an architect from Scranton. We may do work out in Las Vegas, but, you know, we're proud of where we're from and always will be. I think that's awesome. I love what you said. So enhance, promote, and also protect. Cause that part's great. Like if you get everybody here, but then in 10 years, things get trashed or ruined, what's the point? You know what I mean? You want to protect it for the future generations. Um, so much we could dive into there, but let's just go back for a second about, so the office convention, I talked about it a great deal in a previous episode with Tim Holmes, you guys brought that here and it was hugely successful. The rap party and a lot of the cast really, I mean, they seem to have enjoyed it. I listened to the Office Ladies podcast with Angela and uh, Jenna Fisher. Every time they talk about something, well, it's funny because if they bring, if they say something incorrectly, of course, I'm sitting here yelling at my phone. That's not true. <laughs> you know, that yeah. Lake Scranton. That, <laughs> yeah, of course, I post on Instagram like they're going to see me out of like 50,000 comments, but like Lake Scranton that you could swim and kayak in it the one day. And I'm like, that's not true, Jenna. That's wrong. But I love that they, have interest in the city and they'll do their research and they promote it. And I know, I believe you and Tim were also on Brian Baumgartner's uh, podcast uh, recently, I think. Was that recently? Yeah, yeah, very recently. I think it was November. um, Okay. Early December. So we're in February now. Like it was, it was a whole episode in his office deep dive dedicated to Scranton. So um, it was really cool. Uh, He loves Brian Baumgartner genuinely love Scranton, like heartfelt, like just feels like it's his second home. And he's like, I don't know what it is. I just feel a connection to this place. And he has felt that since the first time he was here. I'm here to tell you because I was there. And um, and he's just such a good soul, you know? So he, he wanted to give Scranton its due. Like he really, every time he comes here, he's a rock star, you know? <laughs> and it's just great. So yeah, he had us on and we had a lot of fun with him. That's very cool. And it's funny when I talked to Tim, of course I knew he wouldn't do it, but I'm like, you're going to spill any tea. Who was a diva who didn't really like Scranton. He's like, Oh no, you know, Tim, of course he gave the, he's not going to say anything. Uh, You know, I, I would say like the, the weird thing is they are all super nice. And and like, there's always going to be somebody you connect with more than others or who feel a little more grounded than others. Right. But, but generally speaking, I didn't feel like anybody was really like, on their you know ivory tower and like treating others but like they're just they're just normal people they're just such good good folks because most of them weren't famous before the office hit you know uh, i'd say you know, other than steve carell you know there there really wasn't and and i guess and helms had a little bit of um you know he was on the daily show so i kind of knew who he was when he got on but most of them we didn't know and that's like they're just so grateful for that opportunity you know so and, and the funniest thing is that the one who could be the biggest diva, the one who could be Mr. I'm my Mr. Superstar, uh, which is Steve Carell, is universally, any person will tell you, and I, he is the nicest person you could ever meet. Just so down to earth, so unaffected by all the fame. Like, he is just so nice, right? Like, when I met him the first time, it was in the green room, I went to see the set. And, uh, and Andy Buckley, who plays his boss on the show, uh, you know, David Wallace is like, again, one of the greatest people on the face here. Like he just, he's the one you can call. Like he, I teach a class at Lafayette and he showed up, you know, on Zoom for my class one night. Oh, like, wow. he just, yeah, just, you know, so, so great. And, um, 
And so he had told, I guess he had called ahead and told, um, told Steve I, I was going to be there. So I'm in the green room with like the CEO of Sprint who was doing all the ads on, on TV for the office at that time. He was one of their big donors. And the family of Daryl, who plays um, you know, Craig Robinson, right. Who plays show, right? They were there and me. And in walks, in walks Steve Corral, and he looks at everybody when I introduce myself. He's like, Oh, Michelle, he's like, I heard you were coming. He's like, Oh my gosh, it's so nice to meet you. And, like, and he's just going on and on and on. And I'm like, I felt so important. It was just because, you know, Andy had told him I was coming, but he did say at the time, he's like, you know, he's like, I heard all about that convention. He goes, I want to come to Scranton. I want to be in a big parade and I want to be in a coffee cup. This is world's best boss. (laughs) (laughs) And he was having the best time talking to like to me and I was, it just was great. So um, he's, he's generally a good guy. They all are, honestly, they are just good, good people. I, I could, that could be the thing I'd go through. What, what do you want to know about? And I'll tell you how awesome they are. And that's just, gonna, I'm just going to tell you how great they are, you know, because they just are good people. Well, and I know they, I, I listen every week to, I listen to Brian's podcast sometimes, but um, I listen to the office ladies pretty much every week. And, you know, they do often say, and they've, others who've spoken have said like that Scranton really did help put them on the map because, and they do talk about how kind everyone was here and how excited everyone was here. And it, it really, I mean, that is a really a cool thing. Um, and I mean, I hope, and they keep saying that they're going to come visit. I hope they do. Cause that would be very cool. <laughs> I'm sure you will know, but that well, would be neat if they were coming. Tim and I are always like, planning. <laughs> I know. There's, there's a lot of exciting things. I don't think, let me put it this way. Uh, if we have anything to say about it, and if, if they have anything to say about it, because they love Scranton just as much, the connection will not die. Like it's going to keep going. I think there's some really fun stuff in the future that could happen. So that's great. And I know Brian was here. What, when he was here with this book and that was a couple months ago, I think. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was, I think it was, was it January or was it, was it before it was before Christmas? So yeah. Before Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Before Christmas. Yeah. And people, and I mean, really- people are not sick of them yet. I know. I mean, and it's interesting how the pandemic um, with people binging on Netflix, how so many more people were introduced to the office. And I have friends with like 13, 12 to 14 year old kids who are like in love with the office now. And I think that's great that they, you know, cause I often think that like the sense of humor is different, but they get, they get it and they enjoy it too. And I don't know if it's for the same reasons, it doesn't matter, but that they're introduced to it and enjoying it as well, which I think is great. Yeah. I have a friend from New Zealand whose daughter is like the biggest fan, you know, they she's watched it through, I don't know how many times. And, and I think it's just, you know, they, they were, that's the whole point of Brian's podcast was trying to get to like, why is the office bigger now, like however many years later, at least 17 years later, almost 20 years later, than it was even at the time. It was a big show at the time, but it's even bigger now. It's like the one of the most streamed shows on Netflix. And I think, first of all, the show is made to be streamed. It's just a perfect show for streaming. But they say it like connects to different ages. And, and there's lots of reasons why, right? Mostly it's just a great show with a lot of really fun humor, but they say kids connect to it because they can relate to it being like the classroom with the crazy, you know, the crazy teacher and you can't get away from them and you're stuck with these people, you know, and if you work, you can relate to that. So at any age, you can kind of relate to that environment. Um, but for me, it's just, isn't it? It's just like a warm blanket. Like I just put it on and I just feel good. And I, you know, it always makes me laugh, even if it's the fifth time, sixth time I've watched an episode. Um, so it, it, and lucky me, I don't have the best memory. So I forget what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> it's like the first time again, right? Well, I'm like that, like Seinfeld was my go-to show and I will watch that a million times and still laugh, but the office, it's a different kind of funny, but I will still, it's so funny how I'll see an episode for like the 10th time and I will still crack up and just the way that Steve Carell delivers a line or mispronounces a word. And I just like, I just shake my head and talk out loud to myself. It cracks me up. It's just so entertaining. And that's, that has such great value to make us feel good, especially I think during the pandemic, we needed that, like you said, a warm blanket. We needed comfort. That's for sure. Yeah. And there it was. And it was such a, um, a talented cast that like, there are such layers to the show, right? Like you've been looking at the, like the person who's making whose, whose moment it is, but in the background is somebody doing something hysterical, you know, and they thought that they were, they were thinking like, Brian said, like, he was always in the back going, what can I do to like kind of enhance this scene, you know? So it's, it's great. Like I, and, and the humor so smart and it was very different. Um, you know, I think Greg Daniel said he was trying to steer the ship of comedy, right? So get it off the laugh track to camera documentary style, which of course had been started over in the UK with, um, with Ricky Gervais doing it for that, you know, the original version of The Office over there. But he was borrowing from Christopher Guest who did This Is Final Tap, right? The, the okay. first documentary, right? That I know of anyway. Maybe he was borrowing from somebody, but, um, you know, he was influenced by him. And then he did this show that sort of was groundbreaking in terms of the, the setup. And then, you know, Greg brought it over here and, you know, everybody was afraid of, of trying it because every British show had failed up to that point. You know, remake, every remake of a British show had just, tanked um but Greg Daniels is just brilliant they found their own voice they took it their own direction and you know now we have something like kind of epic for the ages you know it's yes so unique and something and that's helped I think timeless yeah yeah and something that's helped Scranton and if we can be associated with that that's pretty cool um I love being associated with it you know? <laughs> and and I, I told this story but like when I first heard have, being a fan of the office uh UK version when I first heard it was going to be based, the U.S. version was going to be based in Scranton, I didn't even know the mayor well, but I went right to his office and I was like, I need to, I need to meet with that mayor. I'm like, I'm like, I just need to tell you, this isn't a good thing. I'm like, Slough was where it was based in the UK and they were just, they just were terrible to Slough. They just made it seem like, you know, the city that was the road to nowhere. And I'm like, I don't think this is good for our image. And he's like, I don't know. I talked to the creator and he said he was going to be good to us. And I'm like, okay. And that was Greg Daniels. And of course, the way he treated Scranton versus Slough, he treated Scranton just like another character on the show, quirky and fun, and you know, kind of took care of us. You know, it was, it was, it 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 comes off much more realistic to who we really are, quite frankly. Like I think he does a pretty good job with that. And that's because they came here and he brought the writers. He brought all the writers, Janine, and they just went everywhere. They they went all around the city, and, and that's why from like from the season when they came here, I think it was season three forward, there's so much, like they really like doubled down on the references to Scranton and making them very realistic. That was, yeah. that was cool too. Yeah. They, and, and like you said, we could go, we could talk about that for, for a long time, but I want to talk, I want to talk a little bit more about you and architecture. Uh, and we talked a little bit so far about Scranton's architecture, things that have inspired you. I love that you, you know, you designed your parents' home. Like how cool is that, that you can be there and enjoy it with your family? I think that's amazing, but I'd love to talk a little bit more about what 
is happening with women in architecture, how that's changing. And we know with all the promotion of STEM these days that, that it's, it's changing from when I was young. I mean, I turned 50 this year, so it's like, you know, that wasn't a thing, you know, and, and I grew up with the stereotype that was probably even stronger years ago about women or girls not getting into math and science as much or whatever, but that's, that's being, you know, uh, erased and mm-hmm. young women are really getting into these fields, but talk a little bit about how you've seen the field change for women and, and maybe even some words of wisdom for young women. Yeah. Um, so, you know, when I, I always knew, like, I sort of did a little research before I wanted to be an architect. I didn't know what that meant or, you know, what it was like to work in the field. And everybody I talked to, you know, over and over was like, well, are you sure you want to do this? You know, like, it's not, you know, it's not like a, for all the education you need to get, it's not like it's the, the, the best paying field in the world. And like, it's very demanding and so on and so forth. So it was like, people try to scare you out of it for good reason, right? For very good reason. They were right. All those things are true. You know, it's, it's crazy that like for such the service we offer, you know, it's not always valued to, to what we, what we do. And, um, and so, you know, I didn't really think I never in my life, always tried to like, never wanted being a woman to be the thing that like, I kind of ignored it. Do you know? <laughs> I don't want that to, to influence me in any way. Like if a guy can do it, I feel like I can do it. And so, um, I, but I did know it wasn't a field that certainly, and so here's where it's come around to. If you, if you go to the schools, it's like 50, 50, 50, like in the architecture schools, it's like a 50, 50 ratio at the moment, which is great. But if you go 10 years out, 20 years out, it drops off pretty dramatically. And that's because it is a very demanding field and it's demanding in time. It's demanding in energy. It's demanding in like it's stressful, you know, like there's a lot of, um, it, it can be a whole lot of fun, but like, again, you have to realize like the fun, like the design is the fun part, but a lot of it is the technical side of it and going out to the field and making sure things are being built right. And like that, you know, and, and so there's a lot of, um, you know, there, there really is a lot of things that can be like liability and things of that nature. So, um, so first just getting your license is, is a road, you know? So for women, um, like a lot of them don't get their license. They'll work in firms where, um, you know, you don't need to stamp drawings. And so, you know, you can kind of move up the chain and never really have to become an architect. And so, you know, still be learning everything you would learn, but not take the exams um, because the exams are pretty rigorous. I think they're up to nine exams now. I think it's eight when I took them, but like nine exams, you know, everything from, uh, you know, of course there's design, there's, um, you have to, you know, mechanical, electric, plumbing, you have no structural, you have, it just goes on and on. There's like a, a nine exams and they're very rigorous and, you know, people usually take them over the course of a year or two or some people over the course of five years. It's just takes time. And so, um, so that's one is actually being licensed because you can't really start a firm until you're licensed. And then once you're licensed, if you decide to start a firm, there are very, very few just women-owned firms. Like there are a lot of partnerships, there are a lot of like husband, wife, like, you know, and things of that nature, but very few, like, 100% women-owned firms, um, and that's for another good reason, you know, it's, it's very hard as you get, like, by the time you get your license, now you're into your, your age, you're at an age, because you, you've done, typically, you've done undergrad, you know, grad for, undergrad for four years, grad for three years, 
uh, or you've done undergrad for five, there's different roads, but let's do my road, right? Undergrad for four years, graduate school for three years, you have to do at least three years of interning, right? So now you're towards the end of your 20s, right? And, and what's happening towards the end of your 20s is a lot of people are thinking, okay, it's time to get married and think about family and all of these things, you know, especially for women, there is a, a kind of 15 year period there where like, at, you know, after age 35, as you know, let's just be real here, it's much harder to, to think of child, you know, having kids and doing all these other things easily, right? So things start to, there is a biological clock factor. So, so just as you're ready to sit for these exams is also the time a lot of people are ready to start families. And so, and then once you have the, you know, have your license and, and you're starting a firm is rigorous in and of itself, right? I didn't start until I was 30. And, and that's probably just, Quite frankly, probably too young, right? Like, like you're still, you know, but I was like, how, how do I not do it now if I want to potentially have all these other things later, you know? So, um, so again, you've got like, where do you start for, how do you get clients? Like you, you're not taught. Like, I think I spent the first 15 years of my farm learning to run the business, right? Cause that's not what I learned in, in architecture school. I learned how to be a good architect. So, so on and so forth. So there's a lot, there's a lot of reasons why I think women, you know, don't end up necessarily uh, as, as, you know, proprietary like owning their own farm or not doing it without partners or something of that nature. Um, so it makes sense. And I, I share all this openly with my, do I think it's impossible? No, right? Could somebody do it better than me? Yeah, probably. Um, and, uh, but, you know, so, so I, I, you know, I just get very honest with, with the women who want to do it. I let them see, you know, here's, here's my path. Here's what I did. You know, I, I, you know, I got, I'm divorced, but I got married when I was 37. Do you know what I mean? Like put, the kids kind of went down, you know, the idea of having kids became a lot harder. So I actually adopted kids five years ago. I had, uh, which is, I'm thrilled. Like that is, you know, that was my journey. That was my Congratulations. Journey. That's wonderful. Yeah. I love them. They're here actually talk about work life, right? Like yep. they didn't school today. So it's, it's all work-life integration, isn't it? Like, but you make it work. Yep. You just make it work, you know? So um, but, you know, but I have managed to, you know, run a, to have a firm and to, you know, enjoy the work we're doing and I'm proud of the work that we do. Um, but yeah, it's, it's difficult as a, it is a difficult road that I don't think is for everybody. And so I wish it could be easier. So I, you know, so it would be easier for women to get into and to do, um, and, you know, I think there are a lot of other ways of doing it that are easier. Like one path that was available to me when I was down in DC and we, there's a firm out in New York city I was working for called Buyer Blender Bell. And they had just started a DC office. So it felt very entrepreneurial because it was myself and Hanny Hassan and I was his first employee and we were like, you know, he was involving me in everything and the hiring and this and that, like just, you know, my opinion and stuff, you know, but like he was really like involving me in a lot and it felt like we were building this little thing, but we had this huge ship behind us handling the human resources and the healthcare and the, what can we give you? And, you know, they, they had the resources to help build this thing that when I eventually did it myself, I had to do all that from scratch, right? So at one point, you know, Hanny talked about when I said, I was thinking, come back here in my parents' house. He's like, well, come back. He's like, I want to put you on a partnership track. And that probably if family and um, and kind of like having a lifestyle that would be conducive to both being an architect at a very high level in partnership and having a family and doing those things, that would have been a good choice. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's not like it's not possible in this world, 
that because then you know maternity leave and all of those things are very they're that's a it's a big firm it's been around for a long time and they're they were really good about you know all like understanding those commitments and working with with women who who want to have families um so i think there are definitely it's like where do you work and who can support you wanting to do those things right um or, or you know needing to do those things so i think that's that's a another you know road but for me there was no stopping like i was one track minded i'm like no I want my own for, I always did. I always did. You know, I come from an entrepreneurial family and like nothing was going to be good enough. Nothing in my head was like, it just had to be, I want to start a firm. I want to guide the ship. I want to decide what we do. I want to have the vision. And, uh, and so here I am. <laughs> so before we wrap up, I'd like to ask you, so two more things. One, I would love for you to share a, a project or something that you're most proud of, or just or your favorite. Uh, and then uh, another thing would just be, I'd ask you a mistake that you learned from or a lesson that you've learned because everyone learns hard lessons. But but first let's do the, like, what's a, a project or something you worked on that's your, your favorite and why, or or one of your favorites. I know sometimes it's hard to choose. Yeah, that's like the kid thing, isn't it? I was gonna say, yeah, which one do you love more? I love them all equally, sure you do. <laughs> I like that, you know, it's, it's very hard because, um, you know, you do pour your heart and soul into every project. Yeah. You do, yeah. Right. And, um, but I think, you know, I, I think the project that brought me back here was the one that I was the most emotionally vested in, in my life, which is my parents' house. Right. Because I mean, they gave me everything, right. Like my parents, like they really, you know, and to be able to give back to them, you know, through, through the education they helped provide me through the, everything that they, you know, all the, we're going to create, we're going to help. Like there was no lack of, like, I didn't have the best clothes. I was the third kid, you know, I had a lot of hand-me-downs. I never got the new stuff, but if there was anything educational or that my parents felt were going to was somehow going to enhance me as a person or my education, like it was like, no holds barred, go do it. And so to finally be at a place where I could use all that stuff they gave me um, to give back to them. And, you know, and it was the first house. It was a journey for sure, you know, and it was not an easy one. Um, but you know, the house has like such a connection to our family history. And at the end of the day, I still love it. They've been in it since 2004. And I go up and my mom will still tell me things that she loves about the house and like something new she discovered or like, whatever. And, and now I can see as they age, that we planned so well for aging in place. You know, we put an elevator in the house because we, I, I'm like, if you wanna stay here forever and you wanna live on the second floor to get views of the lake, we have got to put an elevator in. And they were all about it because my grandmother at the time was like a hundred <laughs> and she oh, wow. just had bad knees so she couldn't take a step. And so we're, they were all, all in. So didn't have to, you know, but yes, we're putting in an elevator. And we thought of the bathroom and everything that we thought of to create like a transgenerational house, like that somebody could, could raise kids in or be old in, you know, like kind of in a happy way um, works. And they still, my dad's like, you know, he's like the fact that I can still be in my home, uh, you know, even at an older age struggling, you know, with, with certain things like that to him, he's like, it just, it keeps you, it keeps you happy and keeps you alive, you know? And so uh, so for me, that house probably has the most meaning for all those reasons, because it was my mom and dad. 
You know? that, and that it's great that you get to enjoy it too. And I love what you said about, I mean, thinking about, I'm sure that's so much part of what you do also, like thinking of the use of what you're designing, like, and, you know, thinking of how, as they get older, it could still be functional and also make them happy. I think that's wonderful. So you're thinking of, of people in everyday life when you're creating these designs. Versus when we're doing, like when we did all the retail stores out in Las Vegas, like all along the strip, we have stores up and down the strip. Those are very temporal. Like they have a 10 year lifespan, maybe 15, right? So you're thinking about it in a much different way than you're thinking about somebody's forever home, right? They're, you're spinning different wheels in your head. And, um, and it's fun to spin both of them, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's the thing. And that was what you were mentioning. We talked about this a little bit, the one store, just I'm watching Modern Family one day and a whole, a whole scene of the show just takes place in one of the stores we designed at Mandalay Bay called Ruby Blue, right? And it was like, I'm like, hey, oh, that's, nobody called to let us know. Like nobody, I, I don't even think they cleared it with, um, with the with our client, I think they just cleared it with Mandalay Bay, you know, and and I was like, of all the stores in all of <laughs> in all of Las Vegas, they picked ours, you know, and it was great. It was fun. That was a lot of fun. That's so, really neat to be watching a sitcom and go, hey, I I created that. <laughs> I know that. So that was, that's that was really neat. Cool. Yeah, but now we do a lot of workplace, right? And like even after the pandemic, I mean, workplace is always going to be with us. I think it's going to move to more hybrid. Um, as it has, and I think as it will for a long time, but, you know, we realized that people were spending, you know, that people really get emotional and spend all this time thinking about their, their, their forever home or their dream home. And then you go to the office and often, often they're drab and uninspiring or people are working in spaces about natural light. And so we came up with that proprietary system that I told you about, it's called the strategic branded experience framework. And when we apply that, we know the spaces are going to be healthy, beautiful, inspiring. They're going to be sustainable. They're going to be places that attract and retain talent. And we know that because we measure it, right? So we call it return on design investment. And I love being able to make that 80% of people's day that they spend at work wonderful too, right? And create different areas. We call it activity-based design, create different areas based on the task you're performing so that you don't just have to feel stuck at a desk all day. You know, you can go to different parts of the office like we did here when we designed our own office. Um, you know, I'm in, I'm, I'm in my office when I'm doing certain work. I'm sitting down on the couch when I have to read through a code book or review drawings. We're out in the town center when we're collaborating. You know, we use the conference room for different things. It's just great, you know, and it, it mixes things up. And um, so that's what we do. And the fact that we know it works because we measure it, I think is like the proof is in the pudding. But so workplace is something that we've really gotten into because we love to tell people stories. And that's the brand part of it. Like kind of, we say we, we create inspiring spaces that tell your brand story. And that's, that's what we're up to because all of these, especially family businesses and nonprofits, they have these amazing stories to tell and you walk so we say our limits test is if you walk into one of the spaces that we've designed and um and you don't speak to a soul and you leave you'll know what that what that company is up to in the world you know what they do and what they're up to in the world like you'll have no doubt because we'll we'll make the walls talk tell the story through how the space looks and feels you know so so that's what we do now and it's a lot of fun really enjoy it that's and that's awesome and how like 
how crazy that it's almost like a duh, of course, where people work should be nice. Right. I mean, it's like, and I know I worked for 11 years at blue cross and they were, you know, like so many other places you sat in a cube where you stared. That's why I was one that always had a lot of pictures. I had toys. I brought in like a Van Gogh, Vincent Van Gogh action figure. Cause I love him. His head came off. I mean, I, you know, Austin powers action figure. Yes. Cause I'm a, a freak or weirdo that way, but, but you had to make it a little fun because you don't want to stare at like this gray fabric where you pin like a corporate memo. I mean, you know, so it's, it makes sense. And I love that. I mean, the workforce or the workplace environments are changing, like you said, with hybrid. So it's home. It's, it's sometimes for meetings, whatever, but it should be a place that, because what doesn't, doesn't that just make sense though? And I mean, to make people happy, they'll be more productive, more satisfied, you know, and it makes everybody better. It's, it doesn't just make sense. It's been proven, right? So one of the factors, we have five factors in our framework, and one of them is, you know, evidence-based design, you know, research-based solutions. Like that's, when we approach a project, we don't do it from, this feels good. You know, we do it from, well, we research this, we know this works. We know when, when you create these kind of spaces and when you bring in natural light, you bring in plants, you do the right colors, you, you lay out the space, right? You do the activity-based design. When you do all these things, we, like, we know it works, right? So it's it's using that evidence um, and kind of making sure we're on top of the research to show that these are the things that are going to impact productivity. And that's like that's not just like it's not just about a pretty space, right? It's like the air. You know, are you thinking of 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 how you're treating the mechanical systems to make sure that the air is clean and filtered the right way, especially in these COVID days? You know, are, is the furniture ergonomic and comfortable? Are people you know? literally just comfortable while they're sitting there. What are the noise levels? These are things that really impact people's work days. You know, if you're, if you're, if it's too noisy and you're distracted and you can't get your work done, you know, that, that input impacts your productivity. So we think through all of that. And, um, and that's, you know, that's a big important part of what we do. That's the research side of it. Um, so if we need white noise systems, we put them in because a lot of, you get these big open offices and it's like, it can be great, but it can also be distracting, you know, so it's, it's really how you, you really have to think through all that stuff. And that's what, you know, we've become expert in over the years. That's, I mean, that just sounds, again, that could be a whole conversation. That is so interesting. And I, again, I just think that's so uh, amazing. Like, so it's a cool part where you get to be creative, but you're also thinking through things and you said research-based, which how can anyone argue with that? Right. <laughs> when you're showing yeah. them the proof is in the pudding, right? Yeah. It's very technical. Like what we do is like the, but I find that part to be fun too. You know, when, when we, when I know, like, I like doing the research and the deep dives and like making sure that what we're doing is something that's going to, because we're impacting people's lives, right? We're making, we're making their day better. If, if you come to a space and we know it because we just did it for ourselves, right? We just moved into this new office in November. So I like we, and you could talk to anybody in my office. We know, not like our old office, but it was, it's a nice office. It was, a, you know, designed, you know, 10 years ago or whatever it was. Um, but it was now time to apply for ourselves what we've been doing for, you know, for, for our clients. And we did. And like, it does make a difference. And like today, as you know, it's ice and snow out there. Everybody showed up. And I said, hey guys, use your discretion. If you want to work from home, like be safe. Like don't, don't push it if you don't want to. Everybody's here. You know, like it's just, because it's, it's just a good environment to work in. You know, um, so I'm really happy about that. And they all had a, they all participated in designing it, right? So it was a real collaborative effort. But when we do that for other people, 
we do a visioning meeting because we want to make sure everybody's voice is heard, that, that the people who are going to be using this space feel like they had a voice in, in making sure it was going to have everything that they needed and wanted. And that's why those visioning meetings are really important. Um, and, you know, we look back and we're always like, we got it. You know, like if we can look back and say, we check all those boxes, then, you know, we know it's going to be good. Yeah. That's great. Well, in closing, I would just ask the last question. So what's next for Michelle Dempsey? That's a good question. You know, I, uh, I, I think we're just, you know, we're just at the precipice of what we can do with the, with our the strategic branded experience framework. I think there's a lot, a lot of places we can go with that. So we're really excited about, you know, especially as we continue to to get the data that shows, okay, this is working, this is working. Um, so kind of continuing to, to move forward with that, uh, you know, and then I love these podcasts. We actually put a podcast room in our, in our office. So, you know, maybe do something with that down the road a little bit. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, and, you know, just, I'm a mom. So, you know, I got these, these two kids are teenagers now. And I think just seeing them through these years, is going to be a big part of my next, you know, this next chapter as well. So, you know, exciting things on, on all sides. And community. So I always, I kind of, my life falls into three circles that overlap. Um, and it's, it's what I'm doing at work, what I'm doing at home, what I'm doing for my community. Right. And, you know, the community is Tim and I will always be planning something office related, you know, at all times, um, as, as we you know continue to be now. Um, and then, you know, we'll continue to fight this landfill expansion until the end of days until you know there's nothing left to fight um and then family it's like my kids and my you know my just my nieces and nephews and you know making sure these two little guys are grown up to be good human beings um and then work is like just continuing to to grow i think we've we've you know got a nice niche here and it's something important especially in these times and after covid to make sure where people work is is wonderful um, and so right in the middle of all that is sort of, you know, where my personal joy comes from is, you know, happiness through helping others. That's really where it all, they all come together, you know, so that's what's next for me, just continuing to do that. Well, and that's a lot. <laughs> so <Yeah>. it's a <laughs> lot of good stuff. It's a lot of good yeah. stuff. So, well, I want to thank you so much. Cause again, I know, I mean, just hearing that we know that you're obviously busy and uh, I do appreciate you taking time out to share with my listeners. And, uh, and just, like I said, my goal is to promote women, especially, but to help maybe inform people, learn a little something, inspire, uh, think of their own lives differently, maybe what they'd like to do and maybe get a little bit of entertainment. So hopefully we've done that today. And I think we have, I, I want to thank you. You were a fabulous guest. You've shared so much for us to think about and, and I've learned a lot. So thank you oh, so good. much. You're welcome. And Jeanine, any young women out there who are interested in architecture, I have them here all the time. Um, so please, you know, just contact me. Uh, you can come and shadow for a couple of days. Um, and then I always encourage them to go see other size firms and offices too, you know, just to, to get a real sense of what the, the field is like. But, um, and, you know, I know that's a big part of what you do is empowering women. And so just know that that's something I'm always, uh, always willing and, and I love to do uh, for the young women out there. That's great. So in my podcast description, can I just put um, the, your, your website for your business sure. in? Okay. Yeah. Then I'll do that. And so again, that's a great offer. Thank you so much, Michelle. And I think it's wonderful for young people to see, because it may or may not be for them, but they have to see it to know and, and yeah. kind of experience it a little bit. 
because yeah. the office is different than the school environment. They're, they're two different worlds. And so you should see both, um, but they really like any, and I, anything you're interested in, right? To anybody out there who's listening, if you're interested in a field, go. There are so many people who are willing to do mentorships with the um, small business development, you know, but the University of Scranton, they'll help arrange that stuff for you too. Like go see what it is because you want to know where you're going to be spending your time and your days, what it's like, you know, when, when the time comes, um, especially if you need to set the course for what you're doing in school or studying in college, because that's a lot of money, you know, so make sure you're, you're going after something you, you really you would love to do for the rest of your life yeah. or at least for part of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's good advice. All right. Well, thank you again, Michelle. Um, you've joy. Thank you. <laughs> you've been listening to another episode of Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. And this is Funny Wine Girl, aka Janine Luby. I want to thank you so much for listening. I uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my wine glass. Go out there and design something wonderful for yourself and for those around you. Thank you so much for listening.